well, God is really good, and I'm excited. So I don't know if it's going to be the last. I'm sure that I will share it some more on it another time. But I want to just do part four of guarding your heart. It's been our scripture in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart or keep your heart with all diligence, for from it or out of it are the issues of life. And um, tell the person next to you, guard your heart, keep your heart, protect it. All right. So it's very, very important for us because the heart is the center of our intellect, our thoughts, our emotions, and feelings. It involves spirit, soul, and body. And um, so we need to. We need to guard our hearts, Proverbs 4.23. And so I like what one preacher said concerning the same subject. He said, what you are at the invisible root, you are at the visible branch. What you are in the invisible root or at the invisible root, you are at the visible branch. Jesus put it in other words. And uh, he told us the importance of the heart, and we'll get to that in a moment. So we need to watch, be careful, be proactive, be diligent. We need to be renewing the mind according to the Word, because it's through the renewal of the mind that the heart begins to change. Now, I don't know about you, if you know this, but from the time you got born again, you gave your heart, which represents your entire life, you gave your life, your heart to Jesus. But, but from that moment until now, he is still pursuing your heart. He is still working on your heart. And part of the process is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through a process that we call, the theologians call sanctification. The process of making you actually holy. It's great to be declared righteous and holy. One is a forensic term, but the another one is a literal term. So in other words, forensically or legally, you are declared you are the righteousness of God in Christ. But we need to move from that to where we are actually the righteousness of God in Christ. That if your life is examined, it can be said about you that you are righteous. Now, all of that comes from the heart. Is that okay? It comes from the inner being. And so it's very important for us. So first thing that I wanted to just mention is that what God wants the most. What does God want the most? God wants the most fellowship with us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants a deep, meaningful, personal relationship with us. And you know, God loves us unconditionally. Nothing we could do positively or negatively. Nothing that we could do as far as righteousness or, on the other hand, sinful acts will change His love for us. But it will affect the relationship. Amen? And that's why Jude tells us in Jude, the book of Jude, he says, keep yourselves within the boundaries of God's love. What Jude is not saying is that you can put yourself outside of the love of God. You can't. You can't. God will love you always. But in order to be in the experience and the benefits of that love, there are certain boundaries that you need to remain in to be in the experience of God's love. Is that okay? If you've got a good, wonderful child and uh, stays at home or stays nearby and has a relationship with you, they are the direct beneficiaries of your love because of the relationship. It's defined by their hearts towards you. But if they're rebellious, you know, if they're insolent, if they don't want anything to do with you, they move as far away as they can to get away from you, you still love them, but they can't benefit from that incredible love that you have for them. So Jude says, keep yourself within the boundaries of his love. And uh, there's a preacher, pastor, teacher of the word, and his name is Andy Stanley, and he talks about the four great enemies of the heart. The four great enemies of the heart, he says, are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. It's really amazing that if we allow things, sin can separate us from the experience of the love of God, but so can deep wounds and deep hurts, so can wrong attitudes, that if undealt with, that conflict with our understanding of God, and because of those negative emotions and those hurt feelings, very often we project certain things and attitudes onto God, and it blocks the relationship from our side towards Him. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like we can't relate to Him as we should because we can't get past all of those issues. Yeah. And so God is constantly working on our hearts. That's why the Holy Spirit, with the voice of our conscience, is continually speaking to us, especially about things, for example, like forgive that person. Was that all right? Change your attitude towards that person. Go and see that person. Love that person. 
because all of those affect the relationship that we have. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14 verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but listen to it, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So listen, if we understand that we are the righteousness of God, and we tend to our hearts and live righteously, the consequent things that we will discover in our lives, we'll discover peace. Amen. It's amazing how many people have just got no peace in their lives. It's just like everything's, you know, just a mess. Amen. It's chaotic because there's just no peace. Peace doesn't just mean it's like, mm, I'm okay. Peace means, you know, there's peace in relationships. There's peace, there's peace around us. And so that peace that guards our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's incredible that the very next thing that follows peace is joy. Amen. A lot of people don't have joy in life because there's no peace in life. Because everything is just a mess. So we need to get righteous. Is that okay? So what do we need the most? We need the most. What does God want the most? A deep, personal, meaningful relationship with us. What do we need the most in life? We need a deep, personal, meaningful relationship with Him. Amen greatest need. Amen. Amen. You don't have a greater need than that. It's very interesting that Jesus, when he came to the well of Samaria, here comes a woman and a Samaritan woman, and she comes, and Jesus says, please, would you give me something to drink? And how's it that you're speaking to me? First, you're a man. Second, you're a Jew. You know, we don't like each other. No, no, you don't understand. I'm Jesus. I love you. And then, you know, please, can I, you know, eventually, Jesus gets to the place. He said, if you knew who it was, that was asking you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink. And he would give you living water that you would never thirst again. And then the conversation comes, and very often, if we don't read it right, it could almost sound judgmental, where Jesus says, you know, go and call your husband. No, I'm not married. You're right. You're on the fifth one. The other four, now it's the fifth. And you're not married to him. What was Jesus doing being nasty? No, he was not being nasty. Was he being judgmental? No, he was not being judgmental. What was he doing? He was saying, there's a thirst inside of you that nothing can satisfy. You're onto your fifth husband because you think that in those relationships, that somehow that inner thirst, that inner desire will be fulfilled, but it's not. It can only be fulfilled by me. What you're thirsting for is represented, your thirst is represented by you coming here to drink water because of a natural thirst. But you have got another thirst inside of you that only I can satisfy. There's a need inside of you that only I can satisfy. And so it's really incredible when Jesus said, it's not the things that go in, it's the things that come out. Is that okay? So he said, if you drink from me, from inside of you will rise up a well of salvation. You know, life will bubble up to salvation. He said the same thing in John 7. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's amazing how people will queue for cell phones. They will put their names down for fancy cars. They will do anything to get those. But those are a temporary satisfaction of an inner desire, an inner hunger. And it actually at the end doesn't satisfy Amen. But if we can just learn that He is our satisfaction, it's Him that we're craving. So we need a deep, personal, meaningful relationship with Jesus. And that's the kind of relationship that is heart relationship. Is that okay? Now, it's very interesting. So this woman, Jesus was saying, it's not what you try to take in to satisfy that thirst. He said, but if you drink from me, it's what comes out of you that will satisfy you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh. Well, that was for free. It was bonus. It wasn't even in the sermon. Okay. So what we need most is that deep, personal, meaningful relationship with Jesus. Do you know that when we surrender our lives and give our lives to Him, when we make Him Lord, we become truly ourselves for the first time, more ourselves than we ever have. The amazing thing is the more we become like Him, the more we become ourselves. We become Jesus with a different personality a different face and a different name. Come on, church. This is a good place to say amen. amen. I like what I think it was C.S. Lewis said this. If it wasn't, forgive me. It was somebody that said it. Well, Pastor John said this. Pastor John said this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him. God is most glorified 
in us when we are most satisfied with him. Wow. I like what um, John says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I mean, for those of you who know me, you know this is some of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, you know, behold what manner of the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons or the children of God. And then he goes on, I'm switching translations. And then he goes on to say, and this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it because it does not know him. If the world knows him, they'll recognize us. Is it okay? But I like this. When he goes on to say, dear friends, so he says, but now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. In other words, there's something more, church. You know, there's something more to our salvation because what we will be is still not being revealed. In other words, there's something greater as part of our salvation for us. It's the same thing that Paul says that creation is longing for is the manifestation of the sons of God. Okay? So let's carry on. He says, now we are the children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. This is my point, out of a relationship. So, and then he goes on to say, for we shall see him as he is. Woo! Glory, glory, hallelujah. So we'll see him as he is. Now listen to this. John says this. So all who have this hope, that now we're the sons of God, but there's something greater, that when he appears, we will see him, and we'll know him like we are known, to use another verse. And then he goes on to say, if we have this hope, we will purify ourselves just as he is pure. In other words, church, are you listening? There is a condition to his appearance that when we see him, we are transformed into his image. Paul says, if this is our hope, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. Should I repeat that, church? John is outlining this, if I could say this, almost my understanding. The final step of our salvation. But this is not the end of it. We're saved, we're born again, die now, we're with Jesus. Is that okay? But in the plan of God, there's something more. There's his appearance. And when he appears, though now we are children of God, when he appears, we'll be transformed, we'll be like him, we will, because we'll see him as he is. Amen? Now, it's important, this thing about seeing Jesus, because the greater your vision of Jesus is, the greater the transformation in your life. So when we see him as he is, we'll be transformed and we'll become like him. That's a great hope. It's like, yes, awesome. Roll on Jesus. Come. Amen? But he says, but hey, if this is your hope, purify yourself just like he is pure. Come on, tell the person next to you, there's a condition, saint. Amen. All right. So what is the condition? Here's the condition. And this is our main verse for today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This is part of Jesus' opening manifesto when he's setting up and introducing his kingdom. He says, right, let me just tell you, I'm bringing in a kingdom. Here's the kingdom principles. Anyone who wants to enter the kingdom, this is how you've got to be. And he says in verse 1, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Then he goes on. Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, they mourn that condition. In other words, that they have a poverty of spirit, that they need a Savior. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 2. Then he goes on in verse 3 to say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the earth, the land. Isn't that awesome? We'll inherit the land. Woo! And then he goes on to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm following verse after verse, okay? So I think now we're on to verse 5. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So that'll be the next verse. The next verse, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
It's all kingdom principles. Now we get to verse 8. This is the verse that we're dealing with today. He said, blessed are the pure way in heart, for they shall what? See God. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall? So let's reverse it without me being condemnatory or judgmental or anything like that. This is not a bash you session. So in other words, those who are not pure in heart shall not see God. Now God wants us to see Him. God wants us to have a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be seen and experienced. So what does he say? But it will require you to be what? Pure in heart. Can you see why Solomon says, guard your heart, for from it is the issues of life. It's incredible, amen? So we need to, so that's our key verse today. Everybody say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, now we're going to make it personal. Say, I am blessed if I am pure in heart. For I shall see God. Say, I want to see God. I want to see Him. Don't, don't you want to see God? Andre was just sharing with us yesterday morning the word for glory is kabod. And uh, it means weightiness or the heaviness of God. And uh, that's why sometimes people can't stand when they're prayed for because it's the weight of glory that comes upon them. But um, a top Jewish theologian saying, and Prophet Kerbers always used to say, glory is the touchable feelable, seeable, knowable presence of God. So the pure in heart shall experience, shall see, touch, encounter God. I don't know about you, but I want more of Him. Amen? So listen, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 15, three times in just a few chapters, three times Jesus over and over says it. First one, he says, judge a tree by its fruit. Good tree produces good fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. Matthew chapter 12, it's interesting that he talks about things that come out of the heart or the things that affect us. Matthew chapter 15, he says those things which proceed out of the mouth. Matthew chapter 12, he's talking about the good man brings out good treasure out of the good stored up in him. All right? The bad brings out bad. But Matthew chapter 15, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. Very interesting. Just have a look at this. We're down at Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, King James translation. He says this, for out of the heart, listen to this. I mean, it's profound, you know. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Out of the heart. So that'll be verses 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. So thoughts, as far as the Bible shows us, comes not from the mind or the brain, comes from the heart. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Again, so it's important for us to deal with the heart. So Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25, Jesus is speaking and he's pronouncing woes on the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's interesting, the book of Revelations, there's also woes pronounced. But woes, so he says, Woe to you teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So what does Jesus advise them? Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. So clean up the inside. Amen? So I think part of this, the reason for the emphasis of this series of, you know, by the Holy Spirit through the Word is for us to clean up on the inside. Is that okay? And then the outside will be clean. What we are at the root, we are at the branch. So what was Jesus' aim in coming to the cross? I like what one teacher said. It's not to reform the manners of society but to change the heart of sinners. See, religion changes manners, changes conformity, changes behavior, but doesn't change the heart. That's why the law was only a temporary thing inserted in parenthesis for a period of time until the gospel comes because it's only the gospel that can change the hearts. Amen? Our government can put up all kinds of programs and they can put all kinds of ministers in place 
moral renewal, it will do nothing. Because moral renewal comes from the inside, church. It comes from the heart. Amen? So his aim was to change us. It's very interesting. It's to change who we are. And that's why Matthew 7, 12, and 15 talk about it. But Matthew 12 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Matthew 15, again, what proceeds out of the heart. So the heart is utterly crucial to Jesus. In other words, what we are in the deep private recesses of our lives, he cares about the most. So here's a quick question. How many of you have discovered the longer you save, sometimes the worse sinner you feel? Okay, only three people. The rest of you have already arrived and you're really holy. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know, the longer I serve him, it's almost like little things when I was just you know, newly born again, we're just like not an issue. And you know, the longer I'm saved, I mean, those little things now are an issue. And it seems like it's more of an issue to him than it is to me. <laughs> but he puts all of his resources on it and he works on our hearts. Amen. And I don't know about you, it's almost like, you know, because my outward actions are a lot more refined since I got saved, but, you know, there's still things that happen on the inside. Not a lot, not as much as others, but it's still there. No, no, it's a lot. But, you know, the Bible will tell you. You know, you don't have to go and pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Just come and ask, babe. She'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, any area that I need in a healing and go and ask, babe, she'll tell you straight. All right. So there's things going on inside, and it's almost like the outward it's cleaned up, you know, the outer actions and the conformity is up. But it's like, it's like sometimes the Lord gets really nitty-picky about just these little things, you know. I don't know if you've ever heard yourself telling somebody something and the Holy Spirit's whispering to you and saying, well, that's not entirely how it went. <laughs> okay, judging by the laughter, okay, I've hit the nerve. I've got the root. Yes. You know, it's not entirely the way. And you're telling it, you can feel yourself almost blushing, but you've got to keep going with the story. You can't change and go like, actually, I'm exaggerating. It wasn't quite like that. Because there's something about us in our human nature. It's kind of we have to put the best foot forward and put the best side. Amen? That's why if two people are fighting and you speak to one, and you think, yes, that other person must be a real pig. Then you go and speak to that other person. You think, what a cow. Because they both portray themselves in the best light. Now, come on, come on. Just look at the person next to you and say, Pastor John's talking to you now. You know? So we put our best foot forward. We present our case to put ourselves in the best light. Because there's that thing of self-preservation. There's that thing of, you know, lack of humility or whatever it is. There's that arrogance, that pride. You know, we've got to be right. And we're the one. And I was the one that was hurt and offended. I was just uh, walking past the TV the other day, and there was a, something on the crime channel. It was a, a doctor, a lady doctor, was talking about these serial killers. And the interesting thing that she made a comment on this one, I just paused long enough to see it, and she said it's very interesting that in this particular serial killer, that when they interviewed the serial killer and asked them why, and there was more than a dozen people that the serial killer had killed, every single one, it was the victim's fault. Though he didn't know them, it was their fault. This woman looked at me like in a way that she shouldn't have looked at me. Every single one of them was their fault. You know, we can get really out of touch with our hearts. Yeah, this is turning into a psychology lesson, all right? <laughs> but can you, see, can you understand why the heart is so crucial? And so it's, it's very interesting that it's critical to Jesus. I have distinctly noticed that the Holy Spirit is like pursuing even motives. What is the motive of your heart? Why do you say that? Why do you do that? You know, he is a master at getting a hold of a root in your life and holding onto it with a gentle tenacity. And every now and then he wiggles it for you to know that he knows that it's there. And every now and then you're tugging at it and you can feel the tug in your heart. And the reason is because he wants to transform us. He's getting very quiet. There's a lot of like guilty faces now. <clears throat> okay, just put a smile on your dial. <laughs> you know, 
The Lord didn't give me your name and tell me what it is all about this morning. I promise you, I'm just teaching, okay? You can give me your name if you want. But anyway, so he gets a hold of it. So, because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, God doesn't want to just modify your behavior outwardly by the Holy Spirit. He wants to change the inside so that even the motives of your heart are pure. I'll just give you one great reason why. If he doesn't change the motive of your heart, anything that you call love for people could be a perverse love. Because it could be more about you than about them. It could be a conditional love. I'll love you if you do this. Is everybody following me? So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, I've already hinted at it. And I'm running out of time, but it's those whose minds, motives, and principles are pure. Not only are our external actions correct, but that in our hearts we are holy. What does David say? Let's look at David. What does King David say about purity? I mean, King David went through stuff. And uh, after the great sin of adultery and murder, and David wasn't a perfect man, so there were other sins. But those are the two that stand out in the Bible and, and that we know him for, other than his great life as a leader. But it was subsequent to that, that God says, this is a man after my own. If you read Psalm 51 and you read his prayer of repentance, one of the things that he pleads with God for, number one is, take not your Holy Spirit from me, because if you take him from me, then I'm really sunk. Because I can't change without him. And the second thing is, and, and so, so listen, our cry for the Holy Spirit must not only be for goosebumps and power to heal the sick, it must be because here's the second part, and he says, give me truth in the inward parts. You know, give me a pure heart. And David prays that thing. So Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11, that great, incredible psalm. Just for homework, when I get back in three weeks' time, please will you have memorized Psalm 119. <laughs> it's the longest, longest, longest in the Bible. What was it, like 170, 180 verses or something like that? Listen, if you can memorize that by the time I get back, you can come and preach. I'll sit and listen to you. So, but listen to what he says, verses 9 to 11, Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? But not just young man, everybody. How can we cleanse our way? He says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Everybody say the word, the word. Come on, the word is so important, isn't that right? And then he says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. My whole heart. My whole heart have I sought thee. How did he seek God with his whole heart? Well, he sought God through his word. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yeah. Woo! Come on, everybody say, this is awesome, man. This is such a great word. And there's a parallel psalm, Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, to ascend the hill of God is to come up into God's presence. Yeah. It's to be where God is. Is that okay? So we remind ourselves, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Another way of saying it is the pure in heart shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Okay? And he says, who shall stand in the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a what? Pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall or she shall Receive what? The blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation. So who gets the blessing of God? The pure in heart. Those who are able to stand and ascend to the holy hill. Now listen, last verse, verse 6. He says, this is the generation. This is Jacob. The generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. So this is the generation of those who seek Him. Amen? So are we seeking God? All right. 
purify our hearts, purify our hands, don't swear deceitfully. Then we will stand in the holy place, we'll receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation. God will change us. Soren Kierkegaard says this, a pure heart is to seek and pursue one thing. And that one thing is God. So a pure heart has nothing to do with falsehood. It is painstakingly truthful and free from deceitfulness. Deceit is what you do when you will two things, not one thing. You will do one thing and you will allow people to think that you're doing another. You will feel one thing and you'll allow people to think you're feeling another. That is impurity of heart. Purity of heart is to will one thing, namely to seek the face of the Lord according to David. What does James say? James, in James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God. And he will? See, once again, church, you know, it's not just the occasional visit with the Lord. It's not only the occasional visit to church. It's not only the occasional time of prayer. It's not only occasional. And most Christians only seek God when it's a crisis time. Most. And great, and God is there for them. You know, and God shows up. But listen, if we consistently there for God, He's consistently there for us. Amen? And so he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, just like Psalm 24. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Listen to what he says, you double-minded. In other words, you know, one heart. Soren Kierkegaard is right. One heart. Seek the Lord. Amen? What does Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? And all these things shall be added to you. Wow. Isn't it amazing how the whole Bible ties up, eh? Okay. Take a deep breath. Go. Okay. Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. So I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. All right. It's interesting that James says this in James chapter 4, verse 4. Just a few verses before. Um, and that's why he wrote verse 8. is as a consequence of what he wrote earlier. But look at verse 4. In verse 4 he says, Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's no wonder why some people don't like reading James. The great Martin Luther called it the epistle of straw. <laughs> he believed it shouldn't even be in the Bible because it sounded so ungrace. You know, but this is it. You know, James says, you want a commitment from God, yet you give your heart to someone else. And James says, cleanse, wash your hands. Don't be double-minded. Don't want to serve this and then to have all of God. You know, I sometimes say that to people, you can't date God and take him out for an occasional dinner, but expect God to have a marriage commitment to you. Yes, he loves you, but keep yourself within the boundaries of his love. All right. So what does Jesus say? Well, we already know what Jesus said, but let's just, just take one verse from what Jesus said. He said, Matthew 22, 37 to 38, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. Amen? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. First and the greatest commandment. Not with part of your heart. Not with a double or divided heart. That would be impurity. Purity of a heart is no deception, no double-mindedness, no divided allegiance. Purity of a heart is to will one thing, namely God's truth and God's value in everything we do. The aim of the pure heart is always to align itself with the truth of His Word. Without compromise. Yeah, I'm saying some heavy stuff this morning, eh? Take another deep breath, say, I can do it. I can, we can get there. How does Paul see it? I like what Paul says. Just one verse from the Apostle Paul. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which, holiness, without which no one shall see God. In other words, we could change Jesus' words and say, blessed are the holy, for they shall see God. So, of course, it's with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word. Okay, you're all good. <sighs> Stretch, turn around and say, I'm glad Pastor John is speaking to you today. I've been really worried about you. 
I've been praying for you. I'm so glad he's preaching this message today. Amen. Okay, so seeing God. I like what C.S. Lewis said. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world or another life. The longer I serve him, the least satisfied I am with other things. And if I find that desire in me, that nothing in this world satisfies, that's how, that is evidence that I was created for something else. For someone else, you can satisfy those desires. All right. So what does it mean to see God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We all know that one day we will see him. If we're around when he appears, we shall see him. If not, and we have to pass through death, we shall see him. For us, it's win-win. Amen? It's win-win. We shall see him. We'll behold his face. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, it's just really incredible to think that we'll be, be able to behold him face to face. I remember there was a lady, she was pregnant with um, her daughter at the same time as pre- Bev was pregnant with Amy. And um, this lady's little boy and our son Ryan were about the same age. And so Bev would go down and they went to the crash around the corner. And Bev would go down and then she'd bump into Glennis at the gate and they would talk and they both had little tummies. They were both about to have little girls. But the two sons were buddies, Robert and Ryan. And um, so anyway, one day, for some reason, I had to go down and fetch Ryan. And when I got there, the owner of the crash said to me, Robert's mommy is in hospital. She's very sick with meningitis. And uh, I said, who's Robert? <laughs> who's, who's Robert and who's Robert's mommy? And he said, oh, Robert, you're the little boy that, you know, Ryan is friends with. So I was, I don't know, you know, this is a ladies' thing. They meet at the gates and talk and talk babies and things like this. So I found out who Robert was and Robert's surname. So I went through to Arvab Hospital, and I came there. And, I mean, I had seen Glennis before at a distance. Anyway, I, I came there, and there she is. She's really sick. She's got really bad meningitis. She's sick. And I came up to her, and I said, Glennis. And she opens her eyes, and she looks around, and she sees me. I mean, you know, I mean, her head is just pounding. So she told me afterwards, she said, I thought I, was, I died and I was in heaven, and you, you were an angel. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. So, so, so I said, oh, Glennis, I'm here to pray for you. And I mean, I prayed for her. They discharged her the next day. I mean, God just healed her. I mean, amazing. It's like incredible. So anyway, a little bit of time goes past. The baby girls are born. We're sitting here because we lived in the house. And here comes a knock on the door. And her mom comes and gives me a little note of paper. Glennis wanted you to have this because Lily's in hospital very sick. And uh, she was deathly sick, sick unto death. In fact, um, she was dying, and she came down with a rare disease that only British immigrants to Africa get, one in however many. So her kidneys had collapsed and whatever, and we went into the hospital, and yeah, she is laying in this oxygen tent, pipes coming out of this little body, laying there like this, this tiny little weeks-old baby, laying there in this oxygen tent, and they said, we can't open the tent, we can't do anything, whatever. And Bev and I walked in, and I said, would you mind? And so, of course, Lily's laying like this. She's sedated. She's out. And I just put my hand up into the oxygen tent, and I put my finger on her finger, and I just prayed. And God healed that girl. The doctors had said that they had given up on her. They said she wouldn't live. And God healed her. She's a grown lady today with children. So just after that, they started attending church and uh, coming and helping with junior youth and things like this. So now, you know, Glennis is healed, baby's healed. Next thing, Glennis pitches up here, my dad, and he's a tough, hard Yorkshireman, and she said he's just been diagnosed with brain cancer. So I go and visit him, and I'm thinking, we're going to do a clean sweep of this whole family. We're going to dust and bees, you know, that it's very hard to understand. And that's how he's talking to me and swearing and things like this. But now as the cancer progresses, the one day I go and I visit him and he's standing, this rough, tough man. 
And um, really, the brain cancer is affecting him. And we're standing at the gate, and I'm standing with my arm around him. I said, Chris, I'll come back and see him. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, he stands, and he bursts into tears, and he says to me, I want what she's got, and points to Glennis, because Glennis had got saved. Yeah. I said, you can have it. I'm going to come back. His friend beat me to it. So the next time I went back, I mean, he was glowing, gloriously saved, giving his life to Jesus. And I'm like, awesome, now we're going to dust this cancer demon thing out, you know. And I prayed for him. We brought in an armchair. He used to come and sit in the chair in a big armchair from our office. And things like this. Every Sunday, I'm going to go up and I'm going to pray for him. I'm going like, yes, this is awesome. This is going to be a testimony. This is going to rock even England, you know, all the people back there. And the one day I came into the church and I was walking around praying and just saying, Lord, you're taking your time here. You need to heal this man. And I just kept reminding the Lord, you healed Glennis, you healed Lily. And I said, you got to heal this man. And I remember I was walking around, I was somewhere over there, walking up like this, and I was looking in this direction. And I was saying, Jesus, you're going to heal this guy. I'm going to go there and lay hands on him, and this cancer is going to leave his brain. And all of a sudden, the Lord says to me, I'm not healing him. I'm taking him home. He's going to come and see me soon. I remember I fell on my knees there, in the middle there. I fell on my knees weeping. Not that he wasn't going to get healed. Palamon is weeping. And I said, Jesus, you know how unfair this is. You know how long I've served you. And he's going to see, he's just got saved. He's going to see you before me. This is not right. And I'm just going, look, don't misunderstand me. I don't want to check out of here to get there. I'm not looking to go. And I was sobbing. I'm genuine. I was sobbing my eyes out. I was going, he's going to see you before me. It is not fair. But I didn't understand what seeing him now means. So what does it mean? The pure in heart shall see God. Very quickly, number one, you have open access, admission to his presence. We see him by faith. Experience him by faith, the kabod of God. Are you all with me? When Pharaoh was ruler, and Moses went in, and, and he spoke to Pharaoh, and he says, God says, let my people go. And after the number of plagues, the king said to him, so help me, you will never see my face again. You get out, you, you will not see my face. So Moses goes, yo, that really bugs me. <laughs> no, no, that's my words. He goes like, all right, just like you said, I'll never see your face again. And he never saw, Moses never saw his face. What does it mean to say, when a king says, you'll never see my face again? In other words, what he's saying is, you'll never be admitted into my presence ever again. But it's amazing that Proverbs talks about the righteous man, and Proverbs says he shall stand before kings. And the incredible thing for us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, is that we have admission to his presence anytime, all the time. We stand in his presence. Secondly, it means being a friend of God. It's um, 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 19. The last chapter of 2 Kings, Zedekiah was the king. They had sinned, and whatever, it was now time for judgment and deportation. And Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he has Zedekiah's sons killed in front of him, puts out his eyes, blinds him, because the last thing he saw was his sons being killed. And then they take him away captive into Babylon. But it's interesting that it says, and they chose the five men, that used to stand before the king. And that was a position of privilege. It was a position of favoritism or favorites. Or it was a position of friendship. So those who stand before the king and were allowed access to his courts, David lists certain men, Gad and Nathan, who were seers and others, and then he says, and Ahithopol, who was David's friend. They were all allowed into the king's presence. So when it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, it means that you will enjoy friendship with him, relationship with him, and special divine favor with God. Number three, it also means to participate in God himself and to experience him. It's to participate in who God is, to experience him. So he has Moses, and he says, God, you say you know me. Well, I don't know you, and I really want to know you. So please, will you show me your glory? You say, I found favor with you. I found grace with you. So if I've got grace with you, show me your glory. I want to see you. So God says, well, you can't see me and live. 
He says, but if I, there's a cleft in the rock, I'll put you there. And he said, then I'll walk past you, Exodus 33 and 34. And he says, and then I'll walk past you. And he says, but you can't see my face. You can see the hinder parts of me. And so God walks past him, proclaiming his name. God is good. God is gracious. God is merciful. And so on and so forth. So he gets this incredible revelation. I said in the prayer meeting yesterday, he saw the hinder parts of God. And I'm sure that's where he got the revelation, you know, all the way back to creation. And that's why he could write the creation event. Because we saw where God had come from. We saw where he had come from. And so he was able to write the first five books of the Bible, and, and particularly Genesis. Amen? But you can't see my face. And now we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. And again, I mentioned at the beginning of the service, and God says, you know, through Paul, he says, you know, as long as Moses is read, there's a veil. But when you come to Jesus, the veil is taken away. You know? And then he goes on, jumping to chapter 4. He says, God who spoke, you know, let the light shine out of darkness, you know, or let there be light, has shone his light into our hearts so that we can see and know the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't it amazing that Moses could not see the face of God? But here we are, we can see the face of God because of Jesus. You know, every time you look at Jesus, you're looking directly into the face of God. And so he's given us that experience. And so going back to 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, now when we're looking and beholding him, we're in his presence, we are being changed in ever-increasing glory from glory to glory, which means that to see God is to participate in his divine nature, to be transformed to be like him. Amen? Are you all with me, church? I mean, that's just logical that the pure in heart can only experience this change. And then finally is to receive his grace. David says this. David says, Psalm 27, verses 7 to 9. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you. Now remember, he's in dire situation. He's in a bad shape. And he says, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. And then he says, my heart says of you. So it comes from the heart. That's why we need to foster the heart, take care of the heart. Because then your heart will lead you to the right thing. He says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. And then David says, don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God my Savior, hide not your face from me. You know, I don't know if you've experienced it, but the further away I am from the Lord, if I hit a difficult thing, it's really hard to find the presence of God. But if you are continuously in the presence of God, then you can go through trials, and your heart will say to you, your heart won't condemn you. Your heart won't say, run and go and hide in shame. Your heart will say to you, seek the Lord, seek his face. And then you can cry out and say, God, I, I need the finances. This bill needs to be paid. This building needs to be sold. This thing needs to happen. I need that house. I need that job. Father, would you just, you've always been my helper. Don't turn your face away from me. God, it's your face that I seek. Amen? And so to see God as all of these things. So finally, and in conclusion, the reward of seeing God We will see him, but we need to desire. Psalm 51, verse 10, David prayed and he said, Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O God. So it must be part of our prayers. Titus, we need to look to Jesus. Titus says that Jesus gave himself for us to purify for himself a people. Paul tells us, or Luke tells us in Acts, that it's by faith. He gave himself for us. He says, God makes no distinction between us and them. He purifies our hearts by faith. And then Proverbs 3 Verse 5 says, therefore, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And I conclude, will, will with your will. Will this one thing, and you will see God. Will this one thing, and you will see God. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, say, my heart is pure, so I shall see God. I shall experience him. I shall enter in his presence. I will participate in his nature. I will enjoy exceptional favor. This one thing I will. So it is my desire. God creates in me 
a pure heart in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Father, while we're just here in your presence, heads bowed, the one thing you want is a deep relationship with us, meaningful, purposeful. Father, there's one thing that we want, a deep, meaningful, close, intimate relationship with you. Lord, we realize from your word, right at the center of all of this is our hearts. So, Lord, in the light of your word over the past four weeks, we want to say we give you permission by your spirit and through your word, we give you permission to work on our hearts. Even in our circumstances, work in our hearts. Thank you for those people around us who sometimes irritate us because they reflect what's in our hearts. We thank you for them. We thank you for those abrasive people who reveal things that come up in us that we thought we had dealt with. Lord, we have to see, even in those difficult people and difficult situations and circumstances, not your vindictiveness, not your judgment of us, but your commitment to us to purify and to change our hearts. Lord, we want you to be able to say about us that you said about David, here is a man, here is a woman who's after my own heart, whose heart is like mine, pure. Father, may we continue to see and experience you in deeper and more meaningful ways. Lord, I pray that greater and greater miracles will flow, not only towards us, but through our lives. That our hearts will be clean vessels through which the power of God can flow, because then we will take no glory for ourselves. We'll give it all to you. We have this great treasure in these earthen vessels. Lord, thank you that you are cleansing these vessels to be vessels of honor in your kingdom. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. So we welcome, we welcome the sanctification in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Lord, just by by your Holy Spirit, if you've been speaking through the meeting, Lord, just continue with us. Continue to touch our hearts. Continue just to speak to us. Father, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, we don't want to let this slip the last four weeks. We want to just be able to engage with you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, just be glorified in us. Lord, just reminding ourselves of that statement by that great man of God when he said God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him a single heart a pure heart we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus and we all agreed and said